Welcome to The S Factor. Now here's your host, Chuck Shazer. Hello everyone and welcome to another exciting and educational edition of The S Factor. I'm your host Chuck Shazer of ScienceAnimated.net and I want to thank you for joining me here today. You can catch me here the first Saturday of every month on Cruising 92.1 WVLT. What is The S Factor? Well, if this is your first time listening, welcome aboard. The S Factor is all about science and I want to welcome you aboard my starship as we travel across our solar system and talk about all things terrestrial and extraterrestrial right here on the S Factor. Well, the year is marching on. We just had our Halloween and now we are full force on our way to Thanksgiving. And I hope people can get together this year. I know because of COVID that may change drastically moving forward, but I want to wish you and your family if you have to get together virtually or if you can see each other in person, any in either way, I want to wish you the very best of holiday seasons coming up. We'll do our best, I know, as we battle through this COVID situation. So much going on in the world of science, as always. And sci- the S yes Factor is brought to you by ScienceAnimated.net. That's my website. There you can check out Science Animated the Human Body. It's a 40-minute DVD or stream. You can decide which way you want to go there. They're both available right now, and it makes a fantastic Christmas present. So if you're wondering what to get the, you know, the kids in your life, Science Animated the Human Body, the DVD or stream, is good for kids of just about any age. And as a matter of fact, a lot of adults happen to like it. So the kids watch it over and over again. I've sold it throughout the United States of America. I've got letters from people that have watched it with their children. Their children want to watch it over and over again. So really what it is is a family-friendly, entertaining, and the most important is educational film that you can watch with your family. Totally family-friendly, and it's available at scienceanimated.net. Aside from that, I have free educational content. We have the Orbit Show there, Orbit Show Special Report, and of course you can check out all of past S-Factor radio shows. I turn them into podcasts, so they're all available at scienceanimated.net. One cool thing I want to mention uh, this month is that I am on this this very show, The S-Factor, you're listening to on Cruise 92.1 WVLT, or if you're listening to it online on Facebook, Twitter, YouTube, not only can you listen to me on this great radio station, but you can listen to the podcast not only through my website, but check this out. This is pretty cool. This is news I'm breaking right now. You can listen to me. You can listen to The S Factor on Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, TuneIn. It's another app you can listen to. I'm working on getting on Pandora. Not quite on there yet, but Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts. That's readily available. Just punch in The S Factor. Leave a review. Give me a star rating. I'd appreciate that. Again, this radio show is brought to you by ScienceAnimated.net. Be sure to check it out. So, so much going on in the world of science. It was kind of hard to break down what I was going to talk about this month. And there's one topic that really fascinates me. Really fascinates me. And it's the, the topic of rogue planets. You may be wondering, what the heck is that? 
Well, you know how Earth is rotating and orbiting the sun, right? The Earth is orbiting the sun. All of our planets here are orbiting the sun. Well, what would happen if one of our planets, let's say Neptune, for instance, were to break apart from the orbit around our sun and just kind of wander off into space, not tied to any star? We're going to talk about that. What does that mean? Free-floating planets in space can kind of be terrifying. (laughs) This massive object floating around. Some of these are about 40 times the size of Earth. Just aimlessly floating around through space. Right? Like I said, we talk about all things terrestrial and extraterrestrial. That would be the extraterrestrial part of the show. Well, let's just talk about science news right now, and then we're going to get into the rogue planet. Now, I also, on the S-Factor, I like to interject any kind of social or psychological news that's happening that has to do with humans. So let's see what's going on here. Let's see what's going on in the world of behavior and society. This was something I saw that really got my attention because... How many of you out there multitask? You know, we all have our phones. We're looking at our phones all the time. It's almost a part of it. I mean, actually, it is kind of a part of us in a major way. It's attached to most people's hips throughout the day, right? I'm sure you see it when you go out to dinner. You might have whole families looking at their cell phone. Check this out. Media multitasking disrupts memory even in young adults. This is from Scientific American. This is very interesting. The bulking modern human brain evolved hundreds of thousands of years ago and for the most part has remained largely unchanged. That is, it is innately tuned to analog information to focus on the hunt at hand or perhaps the forage of wild plants. Yet we now pummel our ancient thinking organ with a daily deluge of digital information that many scientists believe may may have enduring and worrisome effects. A new study published today in Nature supports the concern. The research suggests that media multitasking or engaging with multiple forms of digital or screen-based media simultaneously, whether they are television, texting, or Instagram, may impair attention in young adults, worsening their ability to later recall specific situations or experiences. Check that out. The authors of the paper measured brain activity and eye tracking to assess attention in 80 young adults between the ages of 18 and 26. The study participants were first presented with images of objects on the computer screen and asked to classify the pleasantness or size of each one. After a 10-minute break, the subjects were then shown additional objects and asked whether they were already classified or new. By analyzing these individuals' brains and eye responses as they were tasked with remembering, the researchers could identify the number of lapses in their attention. These findings were then compared to the results of a questionnaire the participants were asked to fill out 
that quantified everyday attention, mind wandering, and media multitasking. Higher reported media multitasking correlated with a tendency towards attentional lapses and decreased pupil diameter, a known marker of reduced attention. Have you ever remember being in, in class growing up <laughs> and you're listening to something pretty boring? You know, decreased pupil diameter. <laughs> if your teacher noticed that, that meant that they would know that's a marker of reduced attention. Now, attention gaps just prior to remembering were linked with forgetting the earlier images and reduced brain signal patterns known to be associated with episodic memory, the recall of particular events. Previous work had shown a connection between media multitasking and poor episodic memory. The new findings offer clues as to why this might be the case. We found evidence that one's abilities to sustain attention helps explain the relationship between heavier media multitasking and worse memory, says the paper's lead author, Kevin Madour, a postdoctoral fellow in the Department of Psychology at Stanford University. Individuals who are heavier media multitaskers may also show worse memory because they have lower sustained attention ability. This is an impressive study, comments Daphne Bevilar, a professor of psychology at the University of Geneva in Switzerland, who is not involved in a new research. The work is important as it identifies a source of inter-individual variability when one is cued to remember information. The difference in attention among the study participants. These findings are novel and tell us something important about the relationship between attention and memory and their link to everyday behavior. Something we did not know before. That's Harvard University psychologist Daniel L. Schlater, who was also not involved in the study. Madure points out that the new findings are for now correlational. They do not indicate if media multitasking leads to impaired attention or if people with worse attention and memory are just more prone to digital distractions. They also do not necessarily implicate any specific media source as detrimental to the brain. As work by BVR found, action video games in particular harbor plenty of potential for improving brain function. All of our video game players out there would love to hear that. But Madour and his colleagues, including senior author of the paper and Stanford psychologist Anthony D. Wagner, hope to clarify these unknowns in future studies. They also hope to pursue attention training interventions that could help improve attention and memory in people prone to distraction. With winter looming and the COVID-19 pandemic keeping us indoors, Madour feels the new study stresses the need to be mindful of how we engage with media. I think our data point to the importance of being consciously aware of attentiveness, he says. Whether that awareness means resisting media multitasking during school lectures or work Zoom sessions or making sure not to Idly flip through through your Facebook feed while half-watching the new Borat movie. You know, people do that too, don't they? Maybe your friends or family do the same thing. You ever watch TV with someone and they're out on their own looking at their phone? I know I'm guilty of that. Sometimes if my wife is watching something I'm not interested in, I might go to my phone, check some emails, <laughs> you know... I don't play any audio because I think that's kind of rude to do that. But, um, you know, we have that capability now. I was telling someone not long ago that, 
You think about going to the doctor, how our smartphones have revolutionized our lives so much. Do you remember the days of going to a doctor, going into a waiting room, and they had those magazines all over the place? I guess they still do. Time magazine, you know, I've looked for Scientific American or Popular Mechanics, and you're looking around at these magazines, and the magazines are all over the place. All kinds of magazines everywhere. And then you wait for a while and someone comes out, they call your name. Then you go to a different room and you wait there for a while. Actually, there's a pretty funny Jerry Seinfeld stand-up bit on this, on, on waiting. And then you got to wait again, right? But it's not the waiting I'm talking about. You know, back in the day when you waited, uh, waiting felt like forever at, in times. Am I right? When you're waiting for a doctor. Now... We have our own personal device that we can watch anything. We can go to YouTube and watch a lot of stuff. You know, we can check Facebook, Twitter, or you can just browse the internet. You can go shopping as you're waiting. So I think it has actually helped the boredom of waiting for, you know, in a doctor's office or anywhere you're going to wait if you're at the DMV and you're waiting it doesn't matter where you are, but I think the phone has so eliminated or how can you, how can you actually, how can you possibly be bored? You can actually even read a, you know, you could, you could buy a digital book and read a book. You can listen to an audio book. There isn't much we can't do with the smartphone as far as entertainment is concerned. You can play a game. I mean, there's a ton of things you can do. So the time goes a lot faster, I would imagine, for people that are waiting. I know the different times that I've waited for, you know, maybe an eye exam or something. Time goes like that. Let me try it again. Like that. So, but this is just saying to be mindful of doing too many things at once. Uh, it seems like they're not quite sure if it has a dramatic impact, a negative impact, but um, it's probably best just to be aware and kind of try to decrease the amount of digital multitasking that you're doing. I know it's hard for some of us, especially people that, like for me, I live in the digital world. I work in a digital world. So, of course, I'm I'm all over the place all the time. So, But if you have a chance and you're just relaxing instead of just popping in and out of this and that, maybe just focus on kind of one thing at a time when you're uh, enjoying your free time doing these things. If at any time you want to drop me a line, I know I'm not taking phone calls because this is a pre-recorded show, but I love when you guys email me. So feel free to email me with questions, comments, show ideas. If you want me to cover something in the world of science that I haven't before. The S-Factor has been on air since December of 2019. I've covered quite a few things. But if there's something that I haven't covered or something that you want, to, you want me to revisit, please let me know. Contact me at info at scienceanimated.net. If you have a question about scienceanimated.net, question about any one of the creative you know, educational videos that I have on the website, question or comment about the yes factor, feel free to reach out. Info at scienceanimated.net. You can catch me on facebook.com slash scienceanimated, twitter.com slash scienceanimated. Scienceanimated.net is a great way to go to the YouTube channel just straight from there. And if you wouldn't mind, hit the like on that. Hit subscribe at the Science Animated YouTube channel. I would suggest going to scienceanimated.net and go into the YouTube channel from there. It's the easiest way. Trying to build the subscriber list up. So if you could hit subscribe, that would be awesome to support the show. Also, if you would like to advertise on the S Factor, 
feel free to reach out to me at info at scienceanimated.net. A lot of options to do that. And people that I've had on the show have had great results, a great result from advertising on the S-Factor. So if you are interested in doing that, hit me up at info at scienceanimated.net. If you're a regular listener of the S-Factor, you know my love of space talk. And there's some great things that are happening in regards to the future of space exploration. One guy leading the way, our modern-day Iron Man, our modern-day Tony Stark, Elon Musk. Now, he says SpaceX's first Starship trip to Mars could fly in four years. You know, think about how in 1969, when we went to the moon as a nation and we beat Russia to the moon, think about how that brought everyone together. We're talking about achievements for humankind. We're talking about achievements for all people around the world, us as a species, as the Homo sapiens species, to get out into space, which I believe, again, if you listen to this show on a regular basis, you know how I feel about space exploration. Some people think, and some of you out there may think this, you may think it's a waste of money. What in the world are we doing spending hundreds of millions of dollars doing these things? Why are we doing that? Some people fail to understand that a lot of R&D that goes into how to travel into space, how to protect yourself in space, propulsion systems, a lot of the technology that we use in order to do those things, to accomplish those things, wind up coming back to the private sector and get developed into products that, that you and I use. Velcro was one of those things that was developed by the space agency. So there's different benefits that you may not realize. And to me, the biggest benefit of all, the biggest benefit is to spread our species out. At least, I mean, for starters, in our own solar system here and get settlements on the moon. You know, in 69, we landed on the moon. You know, people thought, oh, my goodness, by the year, you know, 2020, maybe even 1990, that we'd certainly have settlements on the moon. I mean, if you ask someone back then, they, they would probably said, man, there is nothing that can hold us back. There's nothing that we can't achieve when we put our minds to it. And I think that entire message, and it's a true one. It's a true statement. There's nothing as a civilization that we can't accomplish if we put our minds to it. Think about it. Going to the moon, just think about how impressive that is, how amazing that is. I mean, we put human beings on a rocket and sent them up, breaking through the atmosphere, heading to space, heading to the moon. All the calculations had to go into that. It's stunning. And it's stunning in 2020 to think about it. It happened in 69, okay? In 69. So I believe that Elon Musk could pull this off. And of course, a show or two ago, I was talking about Neuralink, which is, you know, his uh, computer brain interface that he's working on also. So Elon Musk is doing everything he can to help propel our species to the next level. Now, SpaceX is almost ready to start building a permanent human settlement on Mars with its massive Starship rocket. The private spaceflight company is on track to launch its first uncrewed mission to Mars in as little as four years from now, 
SpaceX's founder and CEO Elon Musk said Friday at the International Mars Society Convention, I think we have a fighting chance of making that second Mars transfer window. Musk said in a discussion with Mars Society founder Robert Zubrin, that window Musk referred to is a launch opportunity that arises every 26 months for mission to Mars. NASA, China, and United Arab Emirates all launched missions to Mars in July of this year. The next window opens in 2022, with Musk referring to the 2024 Mars launch opportunity. The mission will launch to the Red Planet on a SpaceX Starship vehicle, a reusable rocket and spacecraft combo that is currently under development at the company's South Texas facility. SpaceX is also planning to use Starship for missions to the moon starting in 2022, as well as point-to-point trips around the Earth. Musk has long said that humans need to establish a permanent and self-sustaining presence on Mars to ensure the continuance of consciousness as we know it. Just in case planet Earth is left uninhabitable by a nuclear war or an asteroid strike, But SpaceX doesn't have any plans to actually build a Mars base. As a transportation company, its only goal is to ferry cargo and humans to and from the Red Planet, facilitating the development of someone else's Mars base. SpaceX is taking on the biggest single challenge, which is the transportation system. There's all sorts of other systems that are going to be needed Mars Society founder Robin Robert Zubrin said during the convention, My personal hope is that we're going to see Starship in the stratosphere before this year's out. And if Elon is right, reach, next, reach orbit next year or the year after, Zubrin added. This will change people's minds as to what is possible. And then, you know, we'll have NASA seeking to fund the remaining pieces of the puzzle or entrepreneurs stepping forward to develop remaining pieces of the puzzle. If Musk's projections are correct, he is known for offering overly ambitious timelines. SpaceX's first Mars mission would launch in the same year that NASA astronauts returned to the moon under the Armitage program. SpaceX is also planning to fly space tourists on a Starship mission around the moon in 2023. I wonder how much those tickets will be. NASA has also picked SpaceX as one of three commercial teams to develop moon landers for the Armidus mission program. Musk said that if it weren't for the orbital mechanics that call for Mars launches every 26 months, SpaceX would maybe have a shot of sending or trying to send something to Mars in three years, adding that Earth and Mars won't be in the best position, but the window is four years away, because of them being in different parts of the solar system. Musk unveiled plans for SpaceX's Starship plans in 2016. The project aims to launch a 165-foot spacecraft atop a massive booster for deep space missions to the moon, Mars, and elsewhere. Both the Starship and its super-heavy booster will be reusable. Now, that's different. I think it's different than any other thing that NASA has done. Those boosters were never reusable. Remember they would come down, they'd crash down into the ocean. Usually in the Atlantic Ocean somewhere, they'd crash down. And so that's something that's actually, it's another cool part of the the puzzle here. Reusable 
boosters. This year, SpaceX launched two test flights of Starship prototypes called SN5 and SN6 from its Boca Chita test site in Texas. Those flights reach an altitude of 500 feet. SpaceX is currently preparing another Starship prototype called SN8 for a 12-mile high test flight in the near future. Now that news bit was brought to you by LiveScience.com. So Mr. Musk is on his way. He continues to innovate and dream big. And it's great that we have people out there that dream big and they have the financial resources to put it into action. And it has really helped, you know, private enterprises really helped NASA. I mean, you know, in 2020 here, think about it. The, 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 mo- the notion, the mere notion of us going to the moon, I mean, with our current technology for taking photos and shooting video, could you imagine, you know what those images are going to look like? Imagine right now if man were to go to the moon, right now in 2020, again, to go back. You know, some people are like, yeah, we've been there, done that. Now we know that there's water up there, so they can look into that as they're up there. We know more about the dark side of the moon, side of the moon that never faces Earth. <laughs> the sun never hits it. <laughs> so we know now NASA had came out with a news story recently that there is water not only on the far side of the moon, the dark side. There's actually water where the sun is shining on the moon as well. They found water molecules there. So that was a big announcement that they made a couple of weeks ago. And that's what we need, folks. We need, if we're going to travel to these places, we're going to travel to the moon, if we're going to travel to Mars, we need to have water there. There has to be water where we're going. We can't be hauling water from Earth, fresh water from Earth on these on these rocket, on these starships, wherever people go, if it's a settlement on the moon, or settlement on Mars, as far as food and drink are concerned, to stay alive, water's the most important. You need to eat as well. They're going to have to establish, the colony's going to have to establish a well. You're going to have to find water, extract it from the, from the moon or from Mars. They're going to have to grow their food their food on the moon or on Mars, agriculture. All that stuff's going to be very challenging, but they will figure it out. And I know they're practicing in remote parts of you know deserts here on Earth to get a feel for what living in an enclosed pod on the Martian landscape, what that will be like. They're trying to mimic, to replicate, to try to get as close to that experience as they can right here on Earth. They're doing that all the time. Apart from some kind of calamity happening in our near future, which, you know, God forbid something like that happens, we're going to see some really amazing things happen when it comes to space exploration. And of course, our technology, our technology is going to keep enhancing. We're going to have a artificial intelligence eventually. And I believe artificial intelligence, a lot of people are scared of it. And I've covered that on the S Factor. And I love talking about artificial intelligence. Love it. Especially talking about Elon Musk being kind of afraid of it. So, you know, therefore, that's one reason why he developed Neuralink. So we actually become part of the AI. So there's no reason, there's no way to get left behind when you're part of it, right? So that's kind of his philosophy. So he's working on that around the clock, you know, 
Google's working on that around the clock. A lot of people are working on artificial intelligence. So we'll eventually get there. It's going to take a little bit of time. It's not going to happen next week, I can assure you of that. But think about what artificial intelligence may be able to do for us as far as when people get worried about the whole Terminator side of things. You know, they let that science fiction seep into it. But, and not to say that there isn't some concern there, but think about what artificial intelligence can do. Think about what artificial intelligence can do for, let's say, curing diseases that have taken us decades to try to figure out how to cure. You know, think about, you know, the big C, as they call it. Think about how many lives cancer takes. Artificial intelligence may finally solve cancer. It may enable people to have disabilities, and they're doing a lot of research in this, people with disabilities to be able to see again, somebody that's blind, they can see again, somebody that, you know, lost their arm in combat. You know, they can have a prosthetic robotic arm put on, and they can control it with their mind. There's so many cool things on the horizon. I hope we make it as human beings because we're going to see so many great things. Like I said, short of some kind of cataclysm happening on Earth and war, that's another wild card. But, you know, aside from those things possibly happening, if we make it and we none of those things happen, we're going to see some extraordinary science fiction-like things happening with our technology and those things being incorporated in our lives. I want to take a brief time out and talk about a sponsor of the show, and that is Tawny Basil. She is the owner and operator, and she is the certified personal trainer behind Tawny Fit. That's her business. She has been helping people all over the Delaware Valley. And as a matter of fact, if you're not local and you're listening to the show and you're in California because you're listening via the podcast, you can contact her at TawnyFit. It's TawnyFit at gmail.com. You can contact her through Facebook. She's TawnyFit on Facebook as well. She can help you meet your fitness goals. Gyms were closed for the longest time, so she was helping people via a live stream. And she can still do that. If you're someone that doesn't really want to go out, you're still worried about COVID, and you really don't, you're like, well, you know, I want to get in good shape, but I don't, I want to get in better shape. I need to get in better shape. I need to get healthier. But I don't really feel like going to the gym because now I'm worried about COVID. If you're one of those people or you don't care and and, and you're like, you know what, I want to go to the gym. It, it's fine. I'm going to take that chance. She can help you either way. If you want to stay home because of the virus and, and whatever else, she can train you via live stream. Or if you want to go to the gym with her, you can do that as well. She's available to do either. You want to contact her. TawnyFit at gmail.com is the best way to reach out to her. And if you mention that you heard this on the S-Factor, she'll give you one free session. That is awesome, right? So when you think about it, you have nothing to lose at all here. If you're kind of in a rut with your health, if you're in a rut with your weight management, if you want to get stronger, you know, listen, we this is almost the end of 2020, right? We're in November now. So... We're going to start having all those New Year's resolutions that start pouring in, right? <laughs> all those New Year's resolutions. Tony's going to get, she's so busy that time of year because people want to get in better health. And there's so many people that do that at the beginning of the year. That's got to be the number one New Year's resolution. What do you think about that, right? So 
Get a head start on your New Year's resolution in 2021. Get in the best shape of your life. Tawny is a certified personal trainer. She just didn't wake up one day and decide to do this and started doing it. No, she is trained to do this. It's something that has been a lifelong passion of hers, and she is certified and trained to do this. It's what she does for a living. Give her an email shout out, tawnyfit at gmail.com. Thank you guys for doing that. Uh, she's gotten a great response, and I appreciate your support. You support her, you support, you support the S-Factor. So I appreciate that. Car buying can be a brutal experience. Pushy salespeople and deals that are too good to be true. Choosing the right dealership is crucial in today's marketplace. So, where can you go? Since 1976, there has been a dealership in Vineland that is family-owned and operated and has a diverse selection of cars, trucks, utility vehicles, and more. JNC Auto Sales at 1912 West Landis Avenue in Vineland can guide you through the car buying experience with no hassle and a laid-back atmosphere. The Shazer brothers carefully select each vehicle they sell and offer Carfax reports on all their inventory. Shop in a stress-free environment and get the vehicle you want at a price that won't rock your bank account. Stop by and mention the S-Factor for a special offer. JNC Auto Sales is located at 1912 West Landis Avenue in Vineland. You can give them a call today at 856-696-4072. That's 856-696-4072. Or check them out online at jcauto.net. Serving South Jersey for 44 years. Tired of buying your kids the same old toys or video games? What if I told you there is an educational film that is action-packed, exciting, and family-friendly? And it costs far, far less than a trip to the movies. ScienceAnimated.net is proud to present Science Animated The Human Body. Available as a DVD or digital stream, this film will get your kids engaged and interested in learning. From all across America, parents, teachers, and homeschoolers have purchased Science Animated The Human Body. The unique mixture of action-adventure and education makes this film a must-own. It's perfect for school-aged children 8 and up. It combines education with entertainment as it covers the muscles, skin, and bone systems of the body. This approach makes learning fun and truly is educational entertainment. Parents nationwide have had fantastic things to say about Science Animated The Human Body. Linda Verda says, My son loved this video and wants to watch it over and over. We printed out the extra worksheets on the webpage and we're both having fun learning all the names of the bones and muscles. Highly recommended. Bobby Gannon says, Got it for my grandkids to watch while at my house. I'm going to have to get more copies to take to their homes as well. They ask for it over and over. Love it. So visit scienceanimated.net today and get free companion worksheets to go along with the movie. Science Animated The Human Body, available now at scienceanimated.net. Now here's a news bit, here's a science news bit that is on the funny side. A British supermarket launched a chicken nugget into space. Did you hear about this? <laughs> this is actually a true story. Astronauts, chimpanzees, and now a chicken nugget. Scientists have launched plenty of people and things into space, but a British supermarket is the first to send up a piece of breaded protein. To celebrate its 50th anniversary, Iceland Foods, commonly known as Iceland, sent a chicken nugget into the cosmos. 
The grocery store chain hired Sent Into Space to launch the chicken nugget into space. According to its website, Sent Into Space is the world's leading space marketing company, specializing in space-themed marketing campaigns and publicity stunts. From a site in rural Wales, the nugget traveled through the Earth's atmosphere to an altitude of 110,000 feet, where it floated in the region known as near space. Sent into space, wrote in a statement on its website, that would be 20.7 miles. The nugget spent an hour floating in space in low pressure and temperatures that can drop to negative 65 degrees Celsius, according to Sent into Space. Near space is the region between our livable atmosphere and outer space. It begins roughly 12 miles above Earth, where atmospheric pressure reaches the point where a human requires a pressurized suit to survive. Outer space begins at roughly 62 miles above Earth. The nugget was launched near the company's headquarters in Wales in a gas-filled weather balloon with an auxiliary satellite tracking system and integrated camera support. The Irish News reported that the nugget descended at 200 miles an hour with a parachute deploying <laughs> around 62,000 feet for the nugget's protection. <laughs> What better way to show that our products are out of this world than by sending one of our customer favorites into space? We've all changed the way we shop in recent months, and frozen food has never been so popular. We're looking forward to continuing to celebrate our 50th year with customers and thanking them for their support. That's from Iceland Supermarket. Well, that's a funny story, isn't it? <laughs> British Supermarket launched a chicken nugget into space. There you go. And you can check that out online. You can actually see the chicken nugget with a parachute attached to it. <laughs> I don't know, folks. I mean, it it got me talking about it, right? Got me talking about it on the S-Factor. So that was a pretty cool <laughs> new story there. Again, you for just joining me. And I'm, my name is Chuck Shazer. You are listening to the S-Factor. It's all about science. And you can catch me here on Cruising 92.1 WVLT the first Saturday of every month at 1 o'clock. And if you miss any shows, check, check out my website, scienceanimated.net. It's available on there as a podcast. As soon as the show airs on Cruising 92.1 WVLT, it is on the website. So if you're not in the area that WVLT broadcasts in, I know I got listeners outside of the area, so you can check out the S-Factor podcast, now available on Apple Podcasts and Google Podcasts, as well as available on TuneIn. That's an app that where you can listen to a bunch of different radio stations and podcasts as well. So Apple Podcasts, Google, check out S-Factor Podcast. Don't forget, we're, we're, we're starting to get into the holiday season, so if you're looking for an awesome Christmas present for a young person in your life, Ladies and gentlemen, there's so much out there that you can purchase for your child. And if you give my product, Science Animated the Human Body, the DVD, or the stream of that film a chance, I'd be really appreciative of that. A lot of work and a lot of time went into the creation of the film. It's 100% family friendly. It's, it's a gift that you can give uh, a young person in your life, uh, the gift of education. And it's not boring educational stuff. I'm sure you've seen a lot of that out there. 
Science Animated the Human Body is an action-packed 40 minutes and you can buy the DVD and the stream is actually only going for $9.99. You can watch that stream on any device and of course when you do things like that, when you visit my sponsors of the S-Factor, when you visit uh, and subscribe to the YouTube channel, when you purchase Science Animated the Human Body, all these things help me bring you the, the great science news and the great topics that we talk about here on the S-Factor. That keeps the show going, and I appreciate you in advance for your support. It means a lot to me. So let's get to the main topic of today. We're going to talk about rogue planets. And, you know, I've talked, to this, I've talked about this to people that I know, and it happens to be something not many people are aware of. Not many people are aware of the rogue planet. So I think a good idea is just to reacquaint ourselves with what an orbit is, because to understand how crazy a rogue planet drifting around the solar system, or excuse me, not just solar system, but the galaxy, and I think it's important to realize, you know, to reacquaint ourselves with, you know, what is an orbit anyway? What does it mean to orbit? What is happening with, you know, orbiting the sun? Well, planets are orbiting the sun. Why? What, because of what law? Why is this happening? You know, we live our lives every day on earth. We're just doing, you know, we go to, we go to work, we take care of our families. We don't even think about it, you know, it, but it's happening and it happens every single day. And it's a good thing that it does. So what is an orbit? Orbit the path of a celestial body or other object in space governed by the gravitational attraction of other bodies. An orbit, as the term is commonly used, is the relative path of one body with respect to another. For example, the orbits of most artificial Earth satellites are said to be elliptical, like slightly flattened circles. Since they are defined with respect to the Earth, if these same orbits were defined with respect to the sun, they would be said to be spirals because the Earth moves in its path around the sun as the satellites move around it. When two celestial bodies differ greatly in mass, as in the case of the sun and one of the planets, the smaller body travels around the larger one. When the two bodies have approximately the same mass, as in the case of some double stars, both bodies orbit around a common point, common point in space. The orbits of the planets are governed primarily by Kepler's laws of planetary motion. These laws are oversimplified to the extent that each planet is considered to be controlled only by the gravitational attraction of the sun. In reality, the orbit of each planet is influenced by the other planets to a small degree as well as by the sun the influences of the other planets are called perturbations and must be taken into account in calculating planetary orbits. So now that we've had kind of a crash course reacquaintance with what it means to orbit and what orbiting is, let's talk about the rogue planet. My first introduction to the rogue planet, I was watching a program on the Science Channel I know, it's hard to believe. I was watching a program on the Science Channel, and they were talking about different things that can happen to the Earth, extraterrestrial-wise, that could be cataclysmic. And, of course, you have the typical stuff like 
asteroid impact, coronal mass ejections, gamma ray bursts. And then there was the rogue planet, which kind of stunned me because I never really thought that there were rogue planets. And one of those rolling into our solar system be a bad day at the office. We don't want that to happen. But what is it? An Earth-sized planet is careening untethered through the galaxy, scientists find. Now this is from Live Science. Earth orbits the sun like a ship sailing in circles around its anchor. But what if someone or something cut that ship loose? Unbound from any star or solar system, what would become of a tiny world flying helplessly and heedlessly through interstellar space? What happens when a planet goes rogue? Scientists suspect that billions of free-floating or rogue planets may exist in the Milky Way. But so far, only a handful of candidates have turned up among the 4,000 or so worlds discovered beyond our solar system. Most of these potential rogue planets appear to be enormous, measuring anywhere from 2 to 40 times the mass of Jupiter. One Jupiter is equivalent, just keep this in mind, one Jupiter is equivalent to about 300 Earths. It's hard for us to even wrap our minds around that. One Jupiter equals 300 Earths. Hard to even imagine. But now, astronomers believe they've detected a rogue world like no other. A tiny, free-floating planet, roughly the mass of Earth, gallivanting through the gut of the Milky Way. This discovery, reported late last month in the, in the Astrophysical Journal Letters, may mark the smallest rogue planet ever detected, and it could help prove a long-standing cosmic theory According to the study authors, this little world could be the first real evidence that free-floating Earth-sized planets may be some of the most common objects in the galaxy. The odds of detecting such a low-mass object are extremely low. Either we, are, either we were very lucky, or such objects are very common in the Milky Way. They may be as common as stars. Most exoplanets in our galaxy are visible only because of their host stars. In a literal sense, stars provide the light that allows astronomers to directly observe alien worlds. When a planet is too small or too distant to be seen directly, scientists can still detect it from the slight gravitational pull it exerts on its host star, called the radio velocity method, whereby the flickering that occurs when a planet passes in front of a star's Earth-facing side, the transient method. So they're looking at these stars, and when they see something pass in front of it, it makes the light of the star flicker, and they can figure out their measurements, you know, roughly the size of the planet that's passing in front of the light. So they're detecting the flickering. They can determine the size of the object that's in front of it. Amazing calculations, if you ask me, that they can even do that. Rogue planets, by definition, have no star to light their way, or to light a telescope's way to them. 
Instead, detecting rogue planets involves a facet of Einstein's theory of general relativity, known as gravitational lensing. Through this phenomenon, a planet, or even more massive object, acts as a cosmic magnifying glass that temporarily bends the light of an object behind it from the Earth's perspective. If a massive object passes between an Earth-based observer and a distant source star, its gravity may deflect and focus light from the source. The observer will measure a short brightening of the source star. The smaller the light-bending object is, the briefer the star's perceived brightening will be, while a planet several times the mass of Jupiter might create a brightening effect that lasts a few days, a measly planet, the mass of Earth, will brighten the source star for only a few hours or less, the researcher said. This exceptionally rare occurrence is called microlensing. Chances of observing microlensing are extremely slim. If we observed only one source star, we would have to wait almost a million years to see the source being microlensed. Now, they just weren't observing one star for the study. They were watching hundreds of millions of them. Using observations from the optical gravitational lensing experiment, a star survey based at the University of Warsaw in Poland that may have, that has turned up at least 17 exoplanets since 1992. The team stared into the center of the Milky Way, looking for any signs of microlensing. In June 2016, they witnessed the shortest microlensing event ever seen. The star in question, located roughly 27,000 light years away, in the densest part of the galaxy, brightened for just 42 minutes. Calculations showed that the offending object was not bound to any star within eight astronomical units, or AU for or eight times the average dif- distance from Earth to the Sun, suggesting it was almost certainly a tiny planet on the run, ejected from its home solar system after a brush with a much more massive object. Now think about that. This tiny planet was in its home solar system, much like we have in our solar system. Let's say Neptune is, you know, it's in our, it's orbiting around the sun. It's part of our orbiting process here in our solar system. And suddenly it gets ejected from that orbit, the orbit, the orbit that we know of with, with Venus. And a massive object does that. So what does that tell you? A massive, massive object can come around and knock a planet off its orbit. It's a little terrifying. <laughs> we don't know how often these things happen. There's like, like no reason to panic over something like that. We have no idea if, you know, in our lifetimes, anything like that got, you know, I would hope that nothing like that would ever happen. But nothing to really worry about. But again, you know, it gives you pause and it gives you, uh, it makes you come to the realization that, you know, we are truly fortunate to be here. Depending on how far away the planet is from the source star, it's impossible to tell with current technology. The rogue world is likely between one half and one Earth mass. In either case, this roaming world would be the lowest mass rogue planet ever detected. That's a huge milestone for the science of planet formation. Theories of planet formation have predicted that the majority of free-floating planets should be one of Earth mass or smaller. But this is the first time that we could find such a low mass planet. 
It's really amazing that Einstein's theory allows us to detect a tiny piece of rock floating in a galaxy, and how true that statement is. Many more tiny pieces of rock may soon follow. Study co-author Radik Poleski of the University of Warsaw told Live Science, future planet-hunting telescope like NASA's Nancy Grace Roman Space Telescope, slated to launch in the mid-2020s, will be much more sensitive to the galaxy's teeniest microlensing events than the nearly 30-year-old Ogle experiment, as Polosky said. If orphan planets of roughly Earth's mass are indeed some of the most common of the galaxy, it shouldn't be long before many more of them turn up. Anytime we're able to observe, the more we can observe, whether it's with asteroids or things like this, the better off we are. Now, if we had a free-floating planet, a rogue planet, enter our solar system, we would have to just, we would just have to hope and pray it didn't hit us. Now, it wouldn't actually hit us, and it would, as it got closer and closer, it would basically, you know, pull our atmosphere away. Things would come off of the planet, would just be floating out in space. It wouldn't be like this an impact, like if you took two marbles. You know, it wouldn't be that way at all. You know, you have all this devastation and destruction. There wouldn't be any real physical contact. So like I said before, it would be a, a bad day at the office. So we won't, don't want that to happen. The more that we're able to see out there, the better. And we're not at the point in with our technology that we could even, if something like this traveled into our solar system, we, you know, we'd be helpless. There's nothing that we could do. The only thing we could do is migrate off the planet and we don't even have the technology to do that yet. But you know, with Elon Musk working around the clock on his rocket technology and his Mars project, it's another reason why it's important for us as a human species to to populate the solar system with humans. You know, it's important for us to get out there and do that because a calamity that if a calamity happened on Earth, human beings are only here on Earth as far as we know, right? So if we stay here and, you know, a super volcano goes off, you know, there's war, coronal mass ejection hits us. There's a lot of reasons why we should migrate off the earth. If for any other reason, so that we survive as a species, because it would be awfully sad for the human story to end because we stayed on Earth, and did not spread out around at least our solar system, for heaven's sakes. But of course, you know, me being a big Star Trek fan, going beyond our solar system, going into interstellar space, really be something. Now, chances are we're not going to live long enough to see that, you and I, because that's way out in the future. If our species survives to see that kind of technology develop to take us there but i'm an optimist i think that we will survive as a species i don't i like to think about the future as our future not being written yet so we can we can get our act together here on earth as a species do our best to prevent any kind of war from happening between us and and, and lives being taken that way and come together as a force for good and a force for exploration, 
I mean, there's so much left to experience in this in this universe. And I'm optimistic that we'll get there one day. And it'll be people like Elon Musk. And, you know, maybe we need AI to help us develop the technology that will take us in a reasonable amount of time to the stars. Who knows? But I'm very optimistic about our future. And that's going to do it for me for today. I want to thank you for listening to The S Factor. You can catch me right here on Cruise 92.1 WVLT the first Saturday of every month at 1 o'clock. And if you happen to miss the show or you're new to the show and you're like, man, this guy talks about science. This is a pretty cool show. How could I listen to his past shows? Because I started the show in December of 19. So I've covered quite a few things, including artificial intelligence, murder hornets, brain-eating amoeba, the science of love, Mars, the science of viruses. A lot of things have been covered on the S-Factor. And if you want to listen to any of that, check out scienceanimated.net. The .net is very important. If you go to your web browser on your phone or you go to your laptop and you go to Chrome or Firefox, whatever you happen to use, don't forget that part of it. It's scienceanimated.net. The .net makes all the difference. (laughs) You want to check out my website at scienceanimated.net. And of course, you can catch me at facebook.com slash scienceanimated, twitter.com slash scienceanimated. You can listen to the S-Factor podcast on Apple Podcasts, on Google Podcasts, on TuneIn. It's available on there as well. If you have any questions, if you want to reach out to me, question, comment about the show, things that you, if you're a teacher, if you are a homeschooling parent, if you're just a parent, and if you have show suggestions, hit me up, email me directly at info at scienceanimated.net. I want to wish everybody out there a happy and safe Thanksgiving. And thank you very much for joining me. I appreciate it so much. You have been listening to The S Factor with your host, Chuck Shazer. Take care, everybody. You have been listening to The S Factor. Brought to you by ScienceAnimated.net on Cruisin' 92.1 WBLT.